Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are recording. So everybody's got like a Halloween hangover right now. It's like all the candy that is laying around uneaten is finding its way to the adults in the room, which is kind of what happens every year at my house. Like my husband always went out and bought Halloween candy. We have 25 years. We've never had like a single trick-or-treater show up. Billy, you'll appreciate this. I, I had an appointment with my endocrinologist and... Right before I left, I ate a couple of pieces of Halloween candy, not thinking. Uh-oh. You, you don't want to go to your endocrinologist after having eaten Halloween candy. They took my blood sugar. And they're like, what is going on with your blood sugar? I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, I had a couple of pieces. Of, I did. I had a couple of pieces. Of Halloween. Busted. Busted. So we're back again. Um, Halloween has passed. and We're not talking about that anymore. We're done with that. That That's over. So uh, with us this week is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And you also heard the soothing voice of Joe Shaw. Hi, Joe. <laughs> First time that's ever been said. <laughs> Hi, Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. The soothing sugar high voice of Joe Shaw. Yes. And Brendan J. R. Riley is here with us today. Hey, Brendan. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. Brendan, you're a full bars guy, aren't you? I don't get trick-or-treaters. Oh, yeah, we don't either. But if you do, you, you're you a full bars guy. I feel like you'd be a full no, bars we, guy. No, we always buy, like, the bags of the fun size candy. Like, this year, we bought a bag of Reese's. Usually, I would buy, like, three bags because they would be on sale if you buy three. But this year, with between inflation and the fact that I knew nobody was going to come, I said, well, I'm just going to get one bag. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah. So, Joe, you know what? You're in a really squeaky chair. Do you know that? Oh. I didn't know that. Do you hear that? You guys hear that? There's always something weird squeaky. Yeah. Is that it? I listen to the soothing sounds of Joe's squeaky chair that, that behind it? the headlines oh, on WLIW. Yeah, you gotta I'm like sorry. And, and yeah. I'm gonna have to so I you know, I'll have to requisition a new chair for, I for think my you house. Will, or at least oil the one that you have. Or oil this one, yes. Or sit in a different chair. Or sit in a different chair. Yeah. So try not to squirm, please. Got it. <laughs> I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us this week is Kaylin Riley. And Kaylin writes about all things school sports and emotional heart tugging. <laughs> <laughs> the emotional heart tugging is my favorite, but puppies. She likes this, the puppy the, stories. This story we're going to talk about today has definitely been emotional. I don't know about heart tugging, but it's there's, yes. there's feelings. So we'll get into so very, very emotional. Big feelings. We're talking about the vote on the Marsden Street lot in Sac Harbor, which occurred on November 3rd. And Kaylin can fill in the details, but this is basically a piece of property in Sac Harbor that has long been vacant. It is conveniently located right across from Pearson High School, Middle School. And the district has eyes on it for developing an um, athletic field or two. 
And the logic is that Pearson is such a small school that they really have not had uh, much room to put athletic fields. So the teams have to play in Mashashamuit Park, which is 1.1 miles away. Is that right, Kaylin? 1.1 is right. <laughs> and um, and so it's just been kind of, you know, the school was built so long ago and it's in a pretty um, developed village. So it's just sort of wedged in there. And there hasn't been a lot of room for expanding athletic fields as athletics have sort of taken center stage for other districts who've been able to upgrade their facilities and their fields. So the vote came down. Kaylin, do you want to give us that uh, that file? Yes. So by um, they voters approved the um, they author what they were voting on was whether or not to authorize the district to use money held in a capital reserve fund to partially fund the cost of the lots on Marsden. And so it was approved by a vote of 638 to 521. And before we started recording, you know, it was a how many journalists does it take to solve a math problem kind of moment for us. But that amounts to 55% of the votes going in favor of um, using that money to partially fund the acquisition of the property. So the next step is going to be to get it fully funded. And in order to do that, the district is hoping to get an assist from the community preservation fund to the tune of $6 million. So that's that's the next layer. This story has a lot of layers and that's um, and a lot of stages to go through. This was kind of the first stage. So that's the next layer. So we can speak about, there's a whole lot of different things related to this um, that's made it really interesting to report on because there's many, many different considerations and different angles to the story. So the involvement, potential involvement of community preservation fund is- So, so the school's gonna spend um, nearly $3.3 million. I don't think we gave that number and the total purchase price yeah. is 9.3 million dollars just yes. to um and how much property is it Kaylin? so there's there's four adjoining lots on i think it's the north side of the street um mm -hmm. they're wooded lots and then on the other side of the street there's one separate lot the district would purchase that separate lot um for i think seven hundred thousand dollars entirely on its own the four adjoining lots um, and the sale of that single lot is contingent upon the sale of the other lots. So those four adjoining lots is where they would need the additional money from the CPF fund or where they're seeking to get the additional money. From four the acres, is that correct? It's a, each piece of those properties is around an acre. I don't know if it amounts to a full four acres, but it's close to it. And so the plan is to make not two, but there initially they thought maybe two, but the plan is really just to make one athletic field in that area. Well, the plans really, that's another thing too, is what the plans are going to be. And the district has kind of said all along that they would like to source community input on some of the finer details of what they'd like to see there. Yeah, this gets complicated, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. So it's tough because I think a lot of people felt frustrated that they didn't have enough information. I know a lot of people felt frustrated that they they felt like they were being asked to vote on something that they weren't really entirely clear what they were voting on and what it was going to become aside from something for the student athletes. And um, the, the, the district did push this through very 
very quickly. I, I mean, th this was, they had been talking about the improvements at, at MASH Park and paying for that. And then it was. Yes, it was a real about face that I think a lot of people kind of came out of left field for a lot of people. And, and that was only a, a couple months ago. When was, right. when did we write the first story? It was. I, I it was September, mid-September, yeah. maybe. I'd have to look back to be exactly certain. But um, so, yeah, I mean, so that's very, it's very quick to to try to get the public support mm -hmm. and you know, and and to put up a vote, um, you know, to ask for you know to spend this kind of money, right. and and obviously they had their reasons for that. They didn't want to lose the properties, which um, I don't I don't know had been available for sale prior to that or. You know, anytime you're talking about per anytime you're you're talking about purchasing property and and that becomes public, then you know you get developers who who kind of want to swoop swoop in sometimes and um, right. see an opportunity. So I, I imagine that had at least you know was was partially responsible for for their quick actions, but it was very quick, and I and I feel like the 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 public didn't have a clear picture of of what's going to and still doesn't have a clear picture of what's going on. There. Some of the history of that property, I mean, I went to Pearson High School. I think most people know that I graduated from Pearson High School in 1999. And I recall that those property, that land has been vacant since I was in high school. And I don't even know, it's been vacant for a very long time. Um, Brendan actually wrote a story, I think in January of 2021, where the, um, the ARB, the Architectural Review Board, was um, unanimously denied the developer because he had sought to, I think, Brendan, you can probably remember better than me, but he had wanted to build like a, a number of very large homes there and they denied, unanimously denied that request because they didn't feel like it was in keeping with the character of the village, I think. I don't remember exactly, but he could have come back with different plans to scale it down, but he, for whatever reason, chose not to. And so the land remained vacant. The proposed houses were 6,500 square feet each, and what not everybody understands is even if zoning allows you to have houses of a certain size, when you're in a village that has a historic preservation architectural review board, they can have some input on the scaling of your house and whether the impact on the neighborhood by having something that looks very big, looks mammoth, in a neighborhood where there's not a lot of mammoth houses is going to change the character of the neighborhood. They don't necessarily tell you like, you have to make your house smaller to satisfy us. They might just say, you have to make your house look smaller to satisfy us. And sometimes that could be swinging the massing of the house into the backyard instead of it being wide on the street where most of the size of the house becomes a visual impact for everybody who passes by. But I was surprised to see that the developer just gave up on the project. But with CPF money on the table, what some developers are seeing is, well, I can make X amount of money by building houses, which obviously has a lot of costs, or I can make Y amount of money by just selling it to the CPF because they don't want to see this developed in the way that I want to develop it. So for some developers, it's just an easy way to flip land and then they could take that cash and go build with it and invest with it someplace else. 
So is it a risky strategy for the school district to just pretty much sound like they're really counting on CPF money coming through? Like, I don't know, I always, you know, CPF always seems like it's up in the air until the last minute when it's approved. You know, that's the thing I was curious about. Like, can they, I mean, I guess this entire purchase is contingent upon the CPF approving their portion of the contribution to the land. But is that a, a risky strategy to put you know, so many carts before the horse, so to speak. And yeah, I mean, I'll say a little bit about it. And then I think Brendan will probably have some additional insight, but that can be the first layer we could really discuss here because there's many, you know, the people that had questions about this or were openly opposed to it. This was one of the points that they made that they did not believe that it was an appropriate use of CPF money. So to be clear, if the CPF does approve they're going to have to host a public hearing on this and then they'll take then at some point after they'll take a vote but if they if the cpf gives the district the money to help finish the purchase of this there will be like it they'll there will be requirements that go along with it which would be obviously that it would be open for use for the community but a lot of people really feel like this isn't really an appropriate use of, of CPF money. Notably, when I spoke with um, Assemblyman Fred Thiel, when I first started reporting on this story, he felt he feels that it is, and he really, I don't know if it's right to call him the creator or the person who kind of got CPF off the ground. He was one of the architects, I believe is the way we always describe it. So that's notable, um, but you know, a lot of people don't necessarily agree with that. So it is tricky because it it would be a, it would, what's not up for debate is that it would be a somewhat unique use of CPF money. And there's debate about whether or not it would be unprecedented. He brought up a situation in the district I live in now, actually East Quag School District many years ago, used town money to help, um, rebuild one of the baseball fields at its school, Little League fields. But that was before the CPF was established. So um, some people don't think that that's really a, a correct comparison. But I'll let Brendan speak a little bit more about this because he has a better handle on, on that, the CPF particularly than I do. <laughs> so with the CPF, when we say, will the CPF approve it, we should be clear that we mean, will the town board approve it? The town board governs how money from the Community Preservation Fund is spent. Each town on the East End has its own Community Preservation Fund. So when Southampton Town is spending money from the CPF, it is spending money that came in through CPF taxes that were levied on purchases in Southampton Town only. The idea of using CPF money to benefit a school district in this way is new and Assemblyman Thiel, who was an architect of the CPF, appears to be okay with it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that three out of five town board members will be okay with it. If three town board members say, I'm not really comfortable with this, they might think it's legal, but they don't like the precedent that it sets, or maybe they just outright think it's illegal, so they won't say yes, or maybe they think the CPF money could be spent better elsewhere. There are a number of reasons why they might say that we're not going to approve this. So yes, this whole purchase blows up if the town board decides not to do this. And you also have to consider the price tag. It's not just that CPF money is going into this, it's that a certain figure is going into it. And by putting even a dollar of CPF money into it means that any member of the public gets to use this park. 
they're not just putting in a dollar, they're putting in millions of dollars if this goes through, and they're putting through 64% of the purchase price. Is the benefit to the Southampton town taxpayer of being able to use this park worth the millions that Southampton town taxpayers are going to pay from the CPF, not from their property taxes, I should note, should they be paying 64% to get that benefit? Is 50% more appropriate? Or is 64% a bargain? Is 30% more appropriate? I don't know what the negotiation has been here for them to arrive at the town of Southampton should pay X and the Sag Harbor School District should pay what they pay. There were obviously discussions though, Kalen, right? I mean, the town has been preliminarily, preliminarily on, on board with this. I mean, without having yet had a hearing or, or a vote, I mean, there have been discussions with with the, you know, um, CPF administrators and 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 all that to to push this forward to this point, or or they wouldn't have um, uh, they wouldn't have presented it that way. Um, I, I think one of the objections that I heard, and I think it was one of our reporters that said, you know, this is this is um, money that's supposed to benefit everybody in the town of Southampton, but it feels like it's only benefiting. The taxpayers of the Sag Harbor School District, and and I think that that's an interesting argument. I'm not sure where I fall on that, but but that's kind of interesting. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website. SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I, I will say that I had a conversation this past week with a Southampton town board member who mentioned that the East Quag purchase that Fred Thiel has cited as precedent that says that the town can spend money to benefit a school district in that way, that it is a precedented use of town funds. That involved general funds uh, that the town used, not CPF money. And that could make a difference because the CPF program obviously has its own rules um, and it doesn't necessarily serve as precedent for the CPF. Now, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it's a matter of of debate and and this same town board member also mentioned that the idea of an artificial turf field on that site was not part of the original conversation when town officials were approached about this and and that we may see a, a, a very interesting debate come up now at the town board about whether or not using the CPF money to purchase a site on which an artificial field would be placed. Um, and, and, and look, I, you know, devil's advocate here, 
that is an acceptable use. Brendan, I, 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 am I correct? I mean, we get confused sometimes because I know in some cases with the town, when they talk about setting aside open space, when you do a development um, of, a, of a subdivision, that open space can only have passive use as a recreational space, I'm pretty sure. Although the ruling in the uh, hills situation in East Quag may have, may, may have thrown a monkey wrench into that. But regardless, I think with CPF, they can use CPF money to use for active recreational use, right? I think that is an acceptable use. So, I mean, an artificial field in theory, if you use CPF money to buy this property and put an artificial field on it, but make it available to use for the public when it's not being used by the school, doesn't necessarily violate the terms of the CPF. So you would, I just gonna say, you've just introduced the second big issue, which is the artificial turf, which we- Yes, <laughs> okay. so I guess I did. <laughs> Go ahead, Brendan. So one question I have is, is the CPF actually going to be used to install an artificial turf or is the school district solely responsible for the cost of improving the land by installing artificial turf, assuming that they go the turf route and not the grass field route. And Kaylin, would you know the answer to that? Yeah, so the 6 million from the CPF will just be to finish off the purchase of the property. And then what the school district would do, assuming that goes through, is, um, is they would then source, you know, have a series of community forums or opportunity for the community to give its input about what they'd like to see there. And when we say what they'd like to see there, I mean, it's going to be something for the for the interscholastic athletic programs at the school, but within that realm, what they would like to see, um, you know, things like whether or not there'll be lights, what sort of like barriers and, you know, vegetation should be built around there because it's a residential street, so. But the district would be paying for all that was the point, right? The district would pay for all of that. They would have to have another vote, like a bond vote to fund, the, you know, they'd have to come up with a plan with community input, figure out how much that's gonna cost and then put that to a vote. And really that, uh, honestly, like that is what will end up being sort of a referendum again on artificial turf, which really to a certain degree this vote was as well, because the district has been very clear about the fact that they want the community input and that they aren't trying to choose one type of playing surface over another, that they really want to hear from the community about that, because they know how much that matters to people and it's a real hot button issue in Sag Harbor for whatever reason there that maybe, I mean, it is, it's, it's not that it's not a hot button issue nationally. There's plenty of other places in the country where people have a lot of strong opinions about whether or not artificial turf is, um, is toxic or cancerous. You know, the, the, the turf is made with crumb rubber infill. So people, a lot of people everywhere have feelings about that, but out out in our coverage area, it seems to be a particularly hot button issue in Sag Harbor. So just to drive home the point, Galen, this vote was not about installing an artificial turf field. That'll come up later. It was not about turf. This was just this vote was simply to authorize the school district to use 
that money that is held in capital reserves to partially to partially fund the purchase of this land. It's worth mentioning though that there was a vote in Sag Harbor a number of years ago mm -hmm. where there was the debate about putting a turf field in to the existing right. field behind uh, Pearson. And um, that was voted down. By a wide margin. But I feel like the people that were very vocal in voting this against this land purchase were the same ones that felt like um, we really didn't want the artificial turf back. Well, there's some different nuances at play when it comes to those two different votes. So yes, there are people who feel very in the Sag Harbor community who feel very strongly that artificial turf is bad and they don't want it anywhere, anyhow, because they strongly believe that it is um, not safe for children or anyone to be playing on. They feel that the material that's used to make it is um, toxic, ca potentially cancer causing, they, they have very strong feelings about that. So they don't want to see it anywhere. Um, but a lot of the opposition to, to Pearson putting in a artificial turf field behind the high school was that field behind the high school is for the entire student body population, gym classes held out there lunch and recess are held out there. So when you build an artificial turf field behind a school and that is the space that everyone has to use, rightly so, people who have kids that don't play sports or you know, could say, well, wait a minute, my kid's not an athlete and now you're turning this whole grass field out here into an artificial turf field. Why does my kid have to be on artificial turf? That I think was the bigger issue whatever kind of playing surface is built on the Marsden lots will be for student athletes. I, I mean, the, the district has expressed at this point a preference for a turf field there though, right? I mean, they floated that idea. I wouldn't say they have, I, I wanna be careful about saying that they have a preference because I've had many conversations with, with the superintendent and the school board and got, I go to the school board meetings, listen to everything they say. I think they are trying very hard to make it clear to the community that they don't want to try to ram something down the community's throat if they don't want it. But in terms of artificial turf, they are ubiquitous, those fields, at every high school, every single high school you go to in Suffolk County. Now, listen, whether or not the fields are safe is not something that I have done enough research on to, to definitively say one way or another, but the, the, those fields are everywhere. The student athletes themselves really would love to have that kind of field. And the reason that they have become so popular is because they are basically wet, entirely weather resistant. There's no amount of rain or poor weather and also no amount of overuse that's really going to make the field unplayable on a certain day, which is not true of grass. So that's why they've become really popular because you can just you can just beat the heck out of them basically and it you don't have to have a cancellation or anything like that. And the two sports that would likely be played on this field, whether it's grass or artificial turf, are soccer and field hockey. And both of those sports are a completely different game on artificial turf, which is a completely smooth, uniform playing surface, as opposed to natural grass. Um, you ask any high school athlete who plays soccer or field hockey, they will all tell you they greatly prefer to play on artificial turf than natural grass. Mm -hmm.
Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork Wind Farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. I have to tell you, this, this, is, this is not just a Sag Harbor issue. This is a fight that's been going on. I know the city of Boston in September. Uh, this is something opponents have pointed out. The city of Boston said that they will install no new artificial turf fields in their city parks. I know there's been uh, legal action in New Hampshire and in Massachusetts over artificial fields. There's a whole argument that says that artificial turf actually is made with PFAS compounds, which are the chemicals that uh, have been getting into the water supply. And I mean, that's, that's something that, that, that is a dangerous chemical, but it's also something that's used to make plastics. And, and um, but that's where, this is not just a Sag Harbor fight. It is something that's, that's been going on um, in other places too. So I wonder, do you think it's like fair to say, I don't know if this is even something you can quantify. Most of the people that voted for the purchase of the Marston lot would probably also be in favor of a turf field. I mean, I can't speak for them, but I might, that would be my hunch because I think that anyone who feels very strongly um, that they don't want to see artificial turf would not be inclined to vote yes on this because it allows for the possibility that it will happen. Whereas if you just vote no, it doesn't. I don't know that voting yes on this necessarily means you support artificial turf. I don't think it does either, but I, I would, and again, like I can't speak for them, but I would, and I have spoken to some people who were for the purchase, but didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other about artificial turf. But I think that anyone who's really, vehemently opposed to artificial turf is probably inclined to vote no on this because it's it's a it's if you vote no on this and it doesn't go through and the district doesn't get the land well they need some piece of property to put a turf field on so i think anyone who feels very strongly and just wants at any cost that not to happen probably voted no on this i also think that there was like you were saying there was a little bit of i think um suspicion that the goal was to do turf from the beginning. Maybe if that was a communication issue from the district or, you know. I don't think that, I really don't think that the district is is being like disingenuous and is like, oh, well, we're just, now that we got this land, we'll screw what the, t- what the community wants. We're just going to put artificial turf in there no matter what. I do think they genuinely do care. They don't, if they hear from the community, like resoundingly, like we just don't want artificial turf. I don't think they're going to ram it down their throats, but I think mainly they, this land was available. And as many, many people who supported it said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This school district is on such a tiny piece of land and land is so hard to come by, especially someplace like Sag Harbor. I think that they just felt, you know, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity they had to try to do everything they could to get that land. I mean, that field behind the high school 
the grass field that's behind there because when the vote for turf went down, they built a grass field. It's already in really poor condition again. And um, they can't really play that many games there. So the majority of the student athletes still have to get themselves over to Mashashimua Park every day for practice or games. There, you know, if you, even if the field ends up being, you know, natural grass, the experience of that every other high school athlete takes for granted of having home games literally at their home is something that most Pearson athletes don't really actually experience. So even if the, even if the field ended up being natural grass, I think the kids would still be, even the kids that would prefer artificial turf, I think they'd still be excited because they get to have their home games actually at home. So is it me or does it, it feels to me like this whole plan to buy the Marston lot only came up after it was determined that Mash Ashamuet Park would not install a turf field. Yeah, I was going to say, Kaylin, I feel like this this feeling that the school district is sort of committed to the artificial turf field is because of the context of this happening, that you first had the vote about trying to install an artificial field behind the school, which went down. Then there was the long discussion with Mashashimua Park to try and put an artificial field there. That didn't happen. And so now this idea comes up. It seems like the school district, whatever they say, it seems like they're very committed to getting an artificial field somewhere. To an extent, the counter argument to that is this. Mashashimua Park is a privately owned entity. Right. And they charge, the Sag Harbor School District enters into contracts with them and they pay them a lot of money. And they don't necessarily, and the amount of control that they have over what ultimately happens over there is pretty limited. And so, you know, they were about to take a vote on a $13.5 million capital improvement project to the park and they couldn't really have full control over what was going to happen there. So that's a tough pill to swallow for the district when they have to pay $13.5 million. And there were plenty of, there was a, a group of parents who, before the Marsden possibility even came up, who were very frustrated and were coming to school board meetings and really just frustrated that like the district and obviously the money, whether it's in a capital reserve or what, it, it all eventually, you know, somehow comes from the taxpayers that, that the district pays the park all this money every year. And, and a lot and that common refrain from them was, what are we really getting for this? Because the facilities are not up to par at other places. And then what they have to pay in a lease gets higher and higher every year. And at a certain point, I think they compare what the park is telling them they need to pay and the cost of the project and what they're getting for it in terms of the quality of the facility facilities when you compare it to what other districts have and they feel like you know what if there's land that's available that we can own and we can have control over and after we purchase it we don't have to pay to lease it every year we should go for it and sure are there people who probably would prefer or hope that the that the community wants an artificial turf field Sure, but I don't really think that that's their only or primary motivation in going after the, the district's still going to have to do both, right? I mean, if this deal goes through and they put a field in, you know, on on, on the Marsden lots, um, they're still going to have to contract with the park. Yes. Um, they're still going to pay for some improvements there, and they're still going to have to pay 
the park board for for use of that because this one new lot on Marsden certainly won't replace the park, correct? No, it won't, but they won't need to, ostensibly they will not need to host as many games, contests or practices at the park. And then you're in a different negotiating position right. and your capital improvement project might be the cost of that could potentially, potentially go down. It just puts you in a different position in terms of what you're, that's why they put the, the vote on pause because, you know, they came up with that plan with the idea that they would not have the Marsden lot. And of course it's not going to fully replace it, but it does change the dynamic. Yeah. I wanted to ask Brendan, you know, we were talking about the, the safe, you know, the concerns about safety with artificial turf fields. Um, do you know much about that? I, I you know, I, some of the reading I've done, the thing about it is, I think that when you throw out the term PFAS chemicals, um, which, which are in every artificial turf field, because that's what goes into making plastics. Um, I know that, that at some point along the way, a lot of the turf fields have stopped using the crumb rubber that they use on top of the turf. Some of them have, have gone to cork, you know, more of a natural product, but it doesn't change the fact that you still have the PFAS products in the turf itself. But I think that the jury is kind of out on, on the, the health risks here, but th there could be some, is there something to that or is, it, is this just panic? I can't, I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure you know either, but I don't know if you have any thoughts. Well, the Environmental Protection Agency has actually done synthetic turf fields, recycled tire crumb rubber research. Uh, that's actually half the name of a very lengthy titled report that they have. So, you know, if, if this proposed field was going to be cork, which is literally plants, rather than recycled tires, I think you would probably get more people interested in it. You think about how kids you know, they're rolling around in this, they're, they're, it's getting sent up into the air as dust and they're breathing. So parents have concerns about what their kids are going to be exposed to for those reasons. I, I wasn't aware of any real PFAS issues before today. It's not something that I think has been widely discussed. On the internet, you'll find all, all sorts of niche websites where in some town where people opposed a synthetic turf field, they threw up anything they could find and they didn't necessarily vet it. Their sources weren't necessarily the Environmental Protection Agency. It might have just been um, people speculating. So there isn't any real study that says kids who played on turf that's artificial end up getting cancer at a higher rate than the kids who played on grass fields their whole life. Nobody's done these studies. Um, and I don't even know how they would go about accomplishing those studies because you're talking about catching up with student athletes 20 years after the fact. I know the other, the other thing that I've heard from some of the critics is that this particular field on the Marsden properties would, you know, now you got to worry about P, PFAS runoff um, in, a, in a village where the water supply, that's a, that's a, a real concern too. I, you know, I don't think we can give any kind of conclusive opinions on any of this stuff. I think it, a, lot, a lot of this stuff, I mean, we got to remember that, that these kinds of chemicals were, were largely sort of, you know, beyond 
the conversation is as recently as about five years ago, right? I mean, we, we really, um, the, the, the nature of these chemicals is, is a fairly new thing that we're looking at. Well, that's why they call them emergent contaminants. Yeah. They exactly. weren't sure that they were always there and they weren't sure that they were a problem. We can't speak definitively is what I'm, what I'm saying. And what do we know about that lot itself? Like what's the, um, the geology like there? Is it very low lying? Does it flood? Welcome to another layer of this story. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, just like the, you know, sort of, I don't want to call it a rabbit hole, but like there's, there's certain angles of this story that if you open the door, you could be in there for a long time. Um, there, there was a environmental impact report on the district website and um, it was basically gave, help me out here, negative declaration, is that the term? But it, it's tricky because they're giving that now, but they're going to have to do another review because they haven't really have, they don't have like a full plan of what they're actually going to do there. So there's that, but the broad outlines of like a playing field, possibly like a bathroom facility, obviously they would have to have a bathroom facility there. But a lot of people called that report into question. There were people who believed that the, um, the, the architectural firm that prepared their report is biased in some way. You know, that was another challenge in reporting the story too, because there were a lot of people who were, you know, sending me a lot of literature or emails, you know, about this sort of saying, well, yeah, the environmental report says this, but it's flawed because X, Y, Z. But that's to be fair, that's often a, a criticism these DEIS is because the applicants are the ones who hire the firm. You know, so they're sort of looking for, you know, the firm's kind of being hired by the person that wants to see it approved. Yes, there are people who feel, you know, some of the residents of that street, one resident of that street told me there used to be cattails there, that it's, a, that it's wetlands. Um, this, the geography, I mean, again, as someone who grew up in Sag Harbor and went to that school, I can tell you that that street, it's from one end to the other, it's very short. And um, it resembles yeah. like a bowl, basically. You, you come in, you dip all the way down, and then you come boop right before you, you don't level out for very long before you go right back up. So it's almost got this sort of like um, skateboard half pipe kind of feel to it of a street. So um, one would imagine that in developing something there, you may incur some extra costs in terms of like, you know, I'm just going to pretend I know what I'm talking about here, like grading. And, you know, anytime you're, you're dealing with a piece of property that's not like flat for miles, you probably have some other issues. You know, people talk about possible flooding on that street. So there's all those kind of considerations. And then some people just feeling like the report itself um, not really necessarily trusting it. I will just say like in reporting this story, it's been um, not to sound like a nerd, but it's been like kind of fascinating uh, because it's a, it's like a true example of why community journalism matters to so many people because people have such strong feelings about this and in on all sides of it. And, you know, 
it's it's a big responsibility when you write a story like this because people care so deeply about it and they're you know reading reading it and you know like it makes a big difference to people it's not like some global or national issue that is important but maybe feels sort of distant it's like the people who live on those streets the kids who are dying to play on a field like that the people who are who are like genuinely concerned that these fields could like negatively impact the health of their children or the area they live in people who love their town like everyone has really strong feelings about it so it's it's definitely a very intriguing story for that reason are any of the feelings strong enough to have made anybody file a lawsuit against the district uh yes <laughs> yes is that part four of the story <laughs> well i mean there were, yes, there was, a, there was an effort underway to try to get the State Board of Education to stay the vote. There were people, there were um, residents who felt like the district did not give them enough time to make an informed decision on the vote. And they, um, they sent like a petition to the State Board of Education to try to get them to stay the vote. Didn't, didn't happen though, right? Well, the vote happened. So yeah, I don't know if there's any kind of like, legal recourse where if you send a petition like that and um, they it gets dealt with later that they could like nullify retroactively the vote, but I have not heard about that happening. So, but yes, there was definitely, I got a lot of correspondence from people who, it, it was almost like, um, it, it had like the, this whole vote had a very like campaign style feel with two different sides. You know, we got so many letters to the editor about it. There were people that had signs on their lawns. And I should point out, you had a turnout that was equal to, to the, you know, roughly equal to the number of people who voted for the budget and for, right. for open offices this year. So it wasn't a small number of people who turned out to cast ballots. It was, this was a, a really strong turnout for this vote. One thing that was important to me that I did last week, because I was trying very hard to like get the voices of people from all different sides of the story. But one thing I felt really strongly about doing and I did last week is I interviewed three field hockey players because the, the people who this facility, well, even if you don't want to call it a facility, a field, the people who would actually be using this field aside from, you know, the general community if CPF money is used to purchase it, obviously, the people that would really be using it, by and large, cannot vote. I mean, unless they're 18. And most of these high school students aren't. And honestly, any of them who are 18 and can vote on it won't be using it because by the time it would get built, they'd be graduated from high school. So the people who would, who this would actually like ostensibly be for really actually don't have a have a vote. So that's why I spoke to three members of the field hockey team. And for whatever it's worth, these kids, they just, they want a field near the school and they are in support of artificial turf. You know, the period, it's worth mentioning that the field hockey team won their ninth county championship on Saturday. They lost in the Long Island championship, but in the week leading up to that county championship, they get bust to either Hampton Bays or East Hampton High School for practice so they can practice on the artificial turf fields at both of those schools. So they're prepared for their playoff game because all of the playoff games take place on an artificial turf field. So they have to practice on the type of field that they're playing on. Field hockey is like a weird niche sport, but if you ask anyone who plays it and soccer too, it's a different game on turf than it is on grass. And so in order for those kids to be prepared for their playoff game, they had, they had to practice on the turf. The team, the field hockey team last year actually 
chose to play the vast majority of its games on the road because they preferred to play on artificial turf. So again, that's just another thing to understand about all of this. It's all part of the equation, whether or not it's right or wrong for them to do that or want to do that isn't really up to me to decide, but it's just worth, it's, it's interesting to note for sure. So I'd like to bring it back to what the community preservation fund actually says about what lands that were purchased with CPF money can be used for and how they can be improved. Top of the line under the what's included for the CPF and the list runs A through N. This is A, establishment of parks, nature preserves, or recreational areas. So recreational areas, that, that's where we are. It's, it's also considered a park, I would say. Uh, it doesn't appear to be anything that applies B through N. And then later in the law is the management of acquired lands. So this concerns how that land that is going to be a future park and recreational area can be used and managed and improved. So it starts with uh, land can be managed in a manner which allows public use and enjoyment in a manner compatible with the natural, scenic, historic, and open space character of such lands preserves the native biological diversity of such lands with regard to open spaces, limits improvements to enhancing access for passive use of such lands, such as nature trails, boardwalks, bicycle paths, and peripheral parking areas, provided that such improvements do not degrade the ecological value of the land or threaten essential wildlife habitat, and finally, preserves cultural property consistent with accepted standards for historic preservation. Yes, it does say that you can't do uh, big wild improvements. It limits improvements, but that's referring to open spaces. And my understanding of what I just read is that a recreational area and an open space are two different things. So you wouldn't be necessarily prohibited from having a turf field because of the cap that they put on the improvements that you're allowed to do. You are supposed to preserve the native biological diversity. So you would have to look at that land and say, is there native biological diversity here? And can I actually take that out and replace it with artificial turf? If that land has already been improved, if it is um, grass turf, which is not native, bio native biology, if it's covered with grass right now, native biology would actually be like tall clumping grasses, not not turf grasses. Even even a natural grass field might be considered an inappropriate development of the property. In other words, you 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 look at that grass field at Mashashamute Park that the field hockey team plays on. It is pristine, and that's also not a CPF purchase, correct? Right, right. Right. So you're that that's the hang up here because ultimately they may not they the, the town board may look at all of that and come to the conclusion that it is not an appropriate use for CPF. Then it'll get interesting because then mm -hmm. I don't know what the district's going to do, but I don't necessarily think that that it's complete I don't think you can 100% assume then that there's no way the district's buying that property still. I don't know. I have not gotten insight into what they're going to do. 
But they would have to then sp- spend more money. They would need another vote. Could the CPF, if they were to pitch in their share of the purchase price, stipulate only if there is no artificial turf installed? They may. They could. And then, and then the question is, the district has to then decide, is that a deal breaker right. for us? Do we, do we want to still pursue, do we want to still pursue this knowing that that means artificial turf is off the table or do we want to try and find a way to fund this purchase entirely on our own so that we don't have to be bound by the requirements of CPF and we can do what we want. How do I, well, how do I shake this feeling that this is all going to end up in court? <laughs> I just have a feeling. All it takes is one person. Yeah, and I, I mean, I there are so many, as you've said many times, Caitlin, there's so many layers to this. And those layers, so many of them, I think, are going to lead to um, interpretations of, of the legislation and, and what's allowed and what isn't and what's appropriate and what isn't. You know what's the common thread? The only, it seems to me, to be the only thing, the only common refrain from people on all sides of this issue, that they're doing it for the kids. I think they come from a place of sincerity when they say Mm -hmm. that, all of them. The people who are really concerned about about health effects of turf are really concerned about it. You can't just be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about or like, why are they overreacting or whatever? Like they are coming at that from a place of honesty. Like it's a scary world. You know, there's all kinds of th- threats to people's health and well-being in terms of, you know, whether it's, you know, your mental health or, or, or unnatural synthetic compounds in the world. So you can't discount people who feel that way, but you also can't discount people who, you know, are really passionate about the school and it being a really, you know, offering the very best of everything it can offer to its, to its student body. So, you know, the, everyone is kind of coming at it from that, from that, or maybe not everyone, but a lot of people are like when, when someone says that they're, they're concerned about it from the angle of their kids, but they're coming to two different conclusions. I don't necessarily feel like any of them are being disingenuous. It's just that they're, they're the lens through which they're viewing it is different. I think it also, I think what also complicates it is that again, there's a whole group of people who voted this down all those years ago for the field behind Pearson. And they feel like this is another way that the district's trying to sneak in the turf field that was um, voted down back then. You know, I think that's where some of the, some of the suspicion comes from. Just because it all happened so quickly, like, like we were saying earlier in a weird way and, you know, being poised to to vote on the park vote, but then all of a sudden this comes up and it just, it, it feels, it, it, it feels. It's hard for me to think they're being sneaky about no, but, it. But I know it a lot of people. That, it has that appearance. I don't think they are either, but, but I think it lends to the perception of the conspiracy theorists that there's something strange going on here and, and that it wasn't just a lucky break that all of a sudden the property owner was, was willing to, you know, to sell the land to uh to the school district and and you know what bottom line is is whatever happens with with the cpf vote it would be a real shame to see the school district lose out on the purchase of this property whatever the end end result or eventual use of this property turns out to be i mean to 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 you know to have a property adjacent to the school with and you said it earlier kaylin with a school on such a small footprint that this is just a valuable 
these are four five valuable parcels to the school and the and the district should should one way or the other make sure that they secure the purchase of the properties and then maybe decide what you're going to do with them. However, Brendan, th this purchase of using CPF funds, now suddenly every school district in Southampton town will have an argument to come to the town and say, here is a neighboring property that we would like you to buy for us. Because, hey, you bought that for the Sag Harbor taxpayers. Why don't you spend some of that money? In I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of schools with neighboring properties that, that are open. I think that's the point is you don't come across, you don't come across these properties very often. They're adjacent to schools and are, are for sale. And the town could say, you don't need it because you're on X amount of acres, AKA five times as much property as this school. Pearson is unique. It is on a tiny piece of land. It's true. It's true. So they they are bound by the footprint of that of that building, and they are like the only school that you'll see that just has literally like no space for athletic fields. Mm -hmm. And and Joe, Joe, to your point though, I think you're correct that it sets a precedent. It sets a precedent of CPF money being used to help school districts that that are supposed to be self-supporting through their own taxes and mm -hmm. through their own you know taxing district and 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 money and and i think that's a dangerous slippery slope here is is what happens when you know when other school districts have a need or a want whether it's you know adjacent land or whether it's something else to come in and oh we want a new playground let's go to tap the cpf right which is why they ultimately, if they really want it, they ultimately may have to just find a way to just buy it, to buy it on their own. I don't know right. how possible that is. I don't know, you know, what the appetite in the community would would be for that. But it, that could be the road they have to end up going down. I mean, would Sag Harbor taxpayers really shoot down a bond vote for six million dollars? I don't know. If they think that there's going to, if there's enough people who don't want artificial turf that think that it's going to be, I mean, listen, this was not a vote on turf, but it sort of was. Yeah. Yeah. You can't deny that. It was like a proxy vote on turf, basically. So there's also been an older, you know, there's an older population in Sag Harbor that really are, they, they really don't necessarily like supporting big um, bonds at the school either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a residential area. So, you know, listen, if I lived on the street and, and it was quiet and there was like, you know, an empty, some empty woods next door to my house, and then maybe it was going to be uh, a playing field, maybe my preference would be for it to remain woods. However, that doesn't mean that the district shouldn't buy it just because it might like be loud from time to time for neighbors. Like they still have a right to go after property next to their school to try and enhance the overall ex like experience for their students. You know, what will it say about the taxpayers in Sag Harbor if they voted yes on a plan to acquire these lots using two thirds CPF money? And then later when the CPF money is off the table, if they go and they reject a plan to buy the same exact land because now it's fully 100% coming out of their own pockets. That's going to say, yes, we want the land, but we don't want to pay for it. So, 
And th- th- this goes back to Joe's point. Like Joe's point is what is every other school district going to do? Yeah, they're not all going to have neighboring properties that come up for sale. They don't all necessarily need more in sprawling athletic fields. Some of them already have those things. But if they know that there's money on the table, there's a pot of money, everybody's going to want to get their finger into that pot of money and they will find an excuse to ask for that money and they will find a use for that money because it's a pot of money that suddenly became available to them that was never available to them before. I know in Tuckahoe, they had a vote. They wanted to acquire neighboring land in Tuckahoe. They thought they could uh, maybe have some more land so they could qualify more for outdoor recreational areas that are mandatory under New York state law, but also so they could house their superintendent because it's super hard to get a superintendent to come work in Tuckahoe and Southampton town, unless you could actually put them up in a house. That vote failed. You couldn't use CPF money for that. (laughs) But hold on tight here because I'm about to switch to the other side now and say that, you know, it is a lot of money for an individual school district to pay especially a district like Sag Harbor that, that where the values of land around it are going to be very inflated. So there's that. The second thing is that if the town can look at this independently and say, okay, so we are going to do this and allow the school district to use part of this property for its use as well, but just as a town, we can justify spending this money because it's going to benefit. We're going to create space that will become It'll be preserved from development and it will become a recreational space that our residents can use. I think, I think the town can probably get there. Um, and, and you can go back and say, well, if another school district has a proposal that similarly offers that dual benefit, then sure, why not? But, I, but Bill, I, you know, I'm more, or actually, I guess, Brendan, I, I think it's, it's the point that you're making that it's now a pool of money to, to send school districts to go, hey, wait a minute. Um, we want to see some of that money come this way too. And, and now it starts to change the nature of how you're spending money. Everybody talks about it. And I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of the purchase, obviously, but you, know, you talk about buying it with CPF and allowing public use. And everybody keeps saying, we're going to allow public use. We're going to allow public use. I, I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I really don't. It, it's not, you know, I, I, there's nobody driving from West Hampton to Pearson to, to go, you know, play soccer on that field. Um, it becomes public use for people in and around the neighborhood, I would think. You're, you're also really close to the division line. So a lot of people are on the East Hampton really side of town point. right there. And I don't know. Did that mean, I mean, technically, I don't even think Pearson is in Southampton town, right? It's a little bit of both, I think. But also, there is no Southampton Town facility that has any kind of recreational space on in that area. So you look at like someplace like Red Creek Park in Hampton Bays, which is a Southampton Town sort of like field facility. It actually might get used by people who live, you know, maybe like from, I don't know, like Watermill to Wainscott or something. They, they might, they might use it there. I know like... I, people who might want to play, you know, pick up soccer, what other sports, you know, do workouts there, whatever, like. Just walk the track. Safely. Easy there. There's not going to be a track. Don't. don't start, <laughs> another, start another thing. Oh, there'll be a track. Mm-hmm. 
But but that's the no. There's no track. Get me in trouble. There's no track. <laughs> they can't fit it. They that was the, a track is something that the school district was interested in trying to provide for its student body potentially, but it's at, it's not going to fit there apparently. So it's not going to be there. But I heard they're going to build a second level right. that has the track yep. on okay. it. And a parking, okay. and Cut a the part where we torture Kaylin. Well. I quit. Where Joe tortures Kaylin. <laughs> and then the affordable affordable housing complex over yes. it all. Well, I was just going to say, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you wait and you buy it with um, CHF money and you build affordable housing rather than, rather than an athletic field, which, you know, you could, you could house the teachers and the administrators there. I mean, we have school districts. I know Michael Daly from Yimby has, has pushed for this. And, you know, um, I, I don't know that it replaces the idea of fields, but it's not a horrible I idea. And if you had other property to to do it on, every single school district is saying that they can't keep administrators and teachers because it costs so much to live out here. So, I mean, if you put in some some housing there for the school districts, not 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 a horrible idea. Listen, am I going to be able to start an adult lacrosse league for Southampton Town adult residents who want to go to Sag Harbor? and play on that field where they have a big, beautiful, brand new, gorgeous, artificial turf field. And okay, we won't show up when the kids are playing. We're only gonna show up when school's not using it. So that's what, like eight o'clock at night when it's dark, well, right? off season. I'll tell you what, if it was an artificial turf field, you could play as many games on it as you want and the field would be fine. But if it's natural grass, and the field hockey team's playing there, mm -hmm. and the soccer team's playing there, and then some adult leagues play there, the field will be a piece of, you know what, in short order. How much, is it really that easy to maintain an artificial turf field if a bunch of people running out there with their cleats on? Yeah. And, and all Brendan's friends. It doesn't, It like, if it, listen, you have a field where you play soccer and field hockey on, and it's grass. The front, the area in front of the goals turns into dirt. When you have an artificial turf field, the area in front of the goals is the same as the area in the middle of the field. It doesn't wear out. I mean, over time it does. Like West Hampton, they, part of their bond vote, they're replacing their turf field. It's not like it's just like perfect forever, but compared to natural grass. Well, is part of the reason why their artificial turf is so well-preserved is because they don't let people from the community come in and use it whenever they feel like it. I mean, the Southampton United Soccer Club uses the, the artificial turf field at Southampton High School all the time. Look, I think we're down to just one question to answer here. And that is, Brendan, can I play goalkeeper on this team? Because <laughs> I, I will buy the equipment and be the goalkeeper. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to provide your own I, stuff. I'll do we're that. Not, but, we're not getting you a But step. this is the key question I think we need to answer. I'll, I'd be very good at that. I take up a lot of space in that. And just to be clear, in case I sound like too much of a person who like is loves or is for artificial turf, that might not be worth it because yeah, if the if someone definitively determines that the turf is, you know, has detrimental health effects, well, I mean, <laughs> it's bad. Then it's bad, but. I, you can't really, what you, what's not really up for debate is that in terms of durability of a playing surface, 
the whole reason that artificial turf exists is because it eliminates the problem of natural grass not being able to withstand a certain amount of of use and uh, weather. Listen, I'll tell you something else. The curm rubber gets in the shoes and in the house. So any, any parent who has a kid that plays like soccer, field hockey in the turf, probably has to do a little extra vacuuming during the season because it does get in the sneakers and then it's just... Next week, part two of this debate, which is artificial Christmas tree versus real Christmas tree. Pluses and minuses. <laughs> yeah. Well, as the one girl on the field hockey team said to me when I asked her if she was concerned if it was toxic, she said, everything's toxic. Our phones, the sun. So, you know, I don't know how far we want to go. We're all going to die. What does a lacrosse goalkeeper wear? Do they have uh, a stick? Have you watched a lacrosse game, Joe? Clearly not. Yeah, maybe start there. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.